0: Robert Pershing Wadlow, who was born February 22, 1918, died July 15, 1940, also known as Alton Giant and the Giant of Illinois, was a man who was the tallest person in recorded history, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. Wadlow's height was 8 feet 11.1 inches and while his weight reached 439 pounds at his death at age 22, his great size, his continued growth into adulthood were due to a problem with his pituitary gland. Now, how do I know that fact? Well, it's from the Guinness Book of World's Records. Now, the Guinness Book of World's Records sat in my bathroom as a child, along with one other book, and that is Merriam-Webster's Dictionary. Now, Merriam-Webster is an American company that publishes all kinds of reference books, but they are known for the dictionaries and they're the oldest dictionary publisher in the United States. Now, how has that found its way onto today's episode of Waking Up to Narcissism? Well, That's because what I've recently learned is that Merriam-Webster puts out a list of words of the year starting in 2003. And if you go through that list of words of the year, you can kind of get a feel for what's going on in the country. Starting in 2003, democracy. 2004, blog. I had one of those myself back in the day. 2005, integrity. 2006, truthiness. Truth, coming from the gut, not books. Preferring to believe what you wish to believe rather than what is known to be true. Truthiness. 2007, maybe not our best year. Woot, an interjection, expressing joy. 2008, bailout, a rescue from financial distress. I think that one makes sense. 2009, admonish. 2010, austerity. I actually had to look that one up. Severity of manners or life, extreme rigor, strictness, harsh, and discipline. 2011, pragmatic. In 2012, we had a tie. Socialism and capitalism. 2013, science. 2014, culture. 2015, the word of the year was ism, a suffix that forms abstract nouns of action, state, condition, and doctrine. 2016, surreal marked by the intense irrational reality of a dream. 2017, feminism, the theory of the political, economic, and social equality of the sexes. 2018, justice. 2019, they, a pronoun used to refer to a single person whose gender is intentionally not revealed or used to refer to a single person whose gender identity is non-binary. 2020, no shock, pandemic. 2021, vaccine. Which brings us to 2022. Drumroll, please. Merriam-Webster's word of the year, gaslighting. A psychological manipulation of a person, usually over an extended period of time, that causes the victim to question the validity of their own thoughts, perception of reality, or memories, and typically leads to confusion, loss of confidence and self-esteem, uncertainty of one's emotional or mental stability, and a dependency on the perpetrator. So now it all becomes clear. That Merriam-Webster dictionary... That sat right next to the Guinness Book of World's Records that I poured over year after year after year has now come full circle right into the Waking Up the Narcissism podcast. So today we're going to do yet another deep dive on the concepts of gaslighting. So we'll probably cover some familiar ground, but I want to talk about the different types of gaslighting. We're going to give some examples of gaslighting and then what you do to put yourself in a position to be aware of gaslighting and how do you react Because so often gaslighting is the very thing that causes your buttons to be pushed, which causes you to jump back into the fray and then beat yourself up and feel like, man, what is wrong with me? So we're going to talk about that and a lot more on today's episode of Waking Up to Narcissism. Episode 52 of Waking Up to Narcissism. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist and also host of the Virtual Couch Podcast, which I again highly recommend that you go take a listen there. This week we talked about limiting beliefs, and it is pretty fascinating. The limiting beliefs that we have can come from, well they do, they come from childhood. And so much of, I think what we talk about over here on waking up to narcissism are also a lot of these responses that we still bring forth from childhood. And I just have to tell you what's kind of funny about that is when I started in the world of therapy, I didn't know, I 100% didn't know what I didn't know, and I went in and thought, you know what, let's just not worry about the past. Let's just deal with the here and now, the future. And that worked until I actually started working with real clients and recognizing what our past does to inform our present and warn us about the future. So our past is an incredible thing that we need to be able to take a look at to recognize patterns so that we can change. And so as we talk about today's topic, which is gaslighting, then there is a lot that comes from our past. If we've had a lot of experiences where we've been trying to be heard and trying to be understood and continually told that our view of what happened in the past is absolutely crazy, or that's not something that I've ever heard before, or you've never said that to me, or, well, I've only done that because it's your fault. And so over time, that can start to cause our body to keep the score. And we can start to feel like we can't trust our own memory. And then we spend so much time going back down the rabbit hole of what is wrong with me? And that's why the concepts around gaslighting can be viewed as forms of abuse, emotional abuse. So let's get into that. Today, I'm going to be pulling from an article called, What is Gaslighting, Simply Put? And that is from medicalnewstoday.com. And it's by someone named Jennifer, I think it's Hoisen, and it's medically reviewed by Dr. Vera Sarapali, and she's got her doctorate in psychology. So uh, gaslighting, just by simple definition, is a form of psychological abuse in which a person Or a group causes somebody to question their own sanity, their own memories, their perception of reality. And people who experience gaslighting may feel confused and anxious, and they can start to feel like they can't trust themselves. And I'll just put this out there right up front. What is sad about gaslighting in relationships is that here's the person that you're coming to in order to start to grow, to start to become more emotionally mature. So you're often putting your narrative out there to somebody, and this is the person that you got married so that you can grow. And so you're trying to really start to really trust somebody as you step into your own confidence, as you start to explore where you want to go in life. And this is where things start to get a little bit tricky, because when I talk about We grow from childhood and we find our sense of self through external validation from our parents. And a lot of times the person with more of the narcissistic traits or tendencies, and then the pathologically kind person that starts to partner up with the narcissist, that both groups have probably not had the best models of adulting or of parenting from their own parents. And that's not some horrific judgment statement on their parents. I will just continually go back to us not knowing what we don't know. So at some point, we have this opportunity to break this cycle, to become better people, to become better parents, to become more encouraging, to start to have more of this secure, attached relationship with your kids so that you can start to change this pattern. So all of a sudden, you've got a couple of people that have not really found a sense of self through external validation. On the one side, the pathologically kind person was probably trying to manage their parents' emotions and read the room and try to figure out How can I keep things calm so that either my mom won't get mad or my dad won't get mad or they won't get mad at the siblings? And so that pathologically kind person starts to take on this identity or this role as this peacekeeper or the buffer or that type of person. And then you got the narcissist who has probably grown up in this home where they absolutely cannot take ownership or accountability of anything or they're going to get in a lot of trouble because they're not seeing their own parents model any type of accountability or taking ownership. So there's the way we start. So now you're getting in a relationship with somebody and it's normal. It's okay at the beginning to feel like I do want validation from a partner because I've never had the validation from my parents or in childhood or with my caregivers or my support system. So then I'm going to this person. I'm putting out my heart. I'm making these emotional bids to somebody. In essence, whatever the topic is, I'm saying... Hey, am I okay? Can you validate this? Because that's going to help me grow. And now you've shown your buttons to the person who is now going to manipulate that situation or whatever you're handing them in order to make themselves feel better because they only saw a model that you're either wrong or you're right. You're good or you're bad. If you are having an experience that questions my version of reality, then all of a sudden, you're threatening me, you're criticizing me, you're telling me that my experience is wrong. Again, all or nothing, black or white. And so then that emotionally immature, narcissistic person is going to start to use some good old gaslighting tactics as a way to defend their fragile ego, because you can't be right, because there can't be room for two people's opinions or this area of gray. It's either you are telling them that they are wrong, or either they are just showing you that you are right, and they are wrong. So back to the definition. So we got gaslighting, a form of psychological abuse, which a person or a group causes somebody to question their own sanity, memories, or perception of reality. And then the people who experience the gaslighting may feel confused and anxious, and then they start to feel like they can't trust themselves because the whole process of having interaction and communication with another human being is starting to figure out what I really think and how I really feel and almost like bouncing that off of somebody and saying, well, what do you think? Because in emotionally mature relationships, that's how we grow. Because we're two people and we have two different opinions. Anyway, I could go on that just for days, I feel like. So in the article, Jennifer says the term gaslighting comes from the name of a 1938 play and a 1944 film, Gaslight, in which a husband manipulates his wife into thinking that she has a mental illness. So examples, according to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, gaslighting can happen in a variety of ways. And let's go over a few of those examples. One of the ways is called countering. This is when somebody questions a person's memory. This is one of the most just in-your-face ways of gaslighting. They may say things like, are you really sure about that? Because you know you do have a bad memory. Or, well, I think you're forgetting what's really happened. And what is interesting about countering, and we've talked a lot on Waking Up to Narcissism about the concept of confabulation with memory, because our memory is extremely volatile. Our memories change. And when we think of an event we just start with a snapshot and then our brain tries to figure out what else happened in that moment because our brain remembers memory in sort of this fragmented setting. And so then we're filling in the blanks and the gaps. And so for the narcissist, when they're filling in those gaps, they're filling those gaps in with the, I was right and you were wrong. And then the pathologically kind person is possibly filling in the gaps with, well, maybe you're right because I want to keep the peace. And so this whole concept, this mechanism of memory is why the gaslighting can work so well because to the more emotionally immature or narcissistic person, they have to have been right. And so if you are questioning their experience, well, it can't be the way that you're saying it if you are saying that they did anything wrong. So then all of a sudden their confabulated memory kicks in and now they know that, no, you are wrong. And then they go into the minutiae of the details of certain things where they can tell you that they remember absolutely clearly what was going on at this particular time. Now, I ask them what they had for dinner last night and they can't remember. That's ridiculous. Why, why are you caring about that? Oh, you're trying to prove them wrong. But instead of just saying, oh, that that is fascinating, I guess we can't just rely or completely trust our memories. And so then that's when I go into my four pillars and I've got my pillar two, which is this, I can't tell somebody that I think that's ridiculous or they're wrong, even if I think What they're saying is ridiculous or wrong, because at the end of the day, we all have different views or different memories of certain situations. So the countering is why that one is so effective, because you are questioning someone's memory. And if we're being pretty emotionally mature about things, then we've all probably had situations or times where we realize, oh, man, I did. I thought that that happened a different way. And then we may even see, I don't know, video of some event, or all of a sudden we might have something brought to our awareness and then we go, oh, you're right. I had remembered it a different way. To the narcissist, oh no, I absolutely know that I am 100% correct in the situation, which means that you are then 100% wrong. We can't hold space to both have had our own experience. So another type of gaslighting is withholding. And this involves somebody pretending that they don't understand the conversation or refusing to listen to make a person doubt themselves. For example, they might say, okay, now you're the one that's confusing me, or I honestly have no idea what you're talking about. And what gets really difficult here is, and for people that are jumping into waking up the narcissism, maybe in this episode, or maybe they're just a couple of episodes in that I often go back and say that this is something that the pathologically kind person or the person who's trying to figure out what's going on in the relationship will often say, okay, but when, but I say that often, I say, no, you're just confusing me because you're dealing with someone who is trying to confuse you. So if you're walking around in your normal adult conversations and people are having healthy conversations with you and all of a sudden you're just like, well, I have no idea what you're talking about. And that's just who you are on a regular basis. Then I can understand the confusion here. But I would imagine that the person that is wondering, man, I feel like I'm being gaslit in my home, that they're most likely when they're out and about and they're interacting with just normal human beings on a day-to-day basis, they aren't constantly having their memories questioned. I had a woman recently that was telling me that when she is interacting with every other human being around her, it is an absolutely normal conversation and she is not questioning her hearing. But whenever she's talking with her husband, she said, I swear to you, he starts to lower his voice around me. He starts to mumble more. And she said, I find myself continually saying, what was that? Huh? And he's saying, man, you got to get your hearing checked because you really have a problem with that. And she was saying to me, I mean, maybe he's right. And then we just took one step back. And I said, how often are you hearing that in other areas of your life? I mean, is it a pretty regular occurrence where people you're having to say, huh? And she said, absolutely not, not at all. And so then she started noticing that he could literally be talking at a certain volume when the kids are in the room. But then when they leave, he lowers that voice, gets really quiet. And then she's again going, "What? what was that? And it's so fascinating because now, now she's starting to just not take the bait. She's starting to not say, huh, huh? And then he is now, it's so obvious now at this point, because he'll just say, oh, you didn't respond. I bet you didn't even hear that. And she just said, no I kind of heard it but, but I feel like you want me to say huh which again then he said really you think that's the game I'm playing but I digress but you can see where the gaslighting comes into play withholding somebody pretending that they don't understand and this is where I think when people start to get out of the crazy making of emotional immaturity and start to recognize that maybe they are not the crazy one and again I can pull from all these examples of just the last couple of days in dealing with this situation so often where someone was saying it was a guy who has more of an emotionally mature wife, and he was saying, "I finally can really step back and see and understand that I can trust my gut or my instincts because she's a pretty bad actor. So when she goes down the, I, I don't know what you're talking about," he said, "That's somebody I've never seen before. I mean, that that is a whole different side of my wife." And he said, "I'm starting to notice the consistency around." When he said, I feel like I'm being gaslit. Another type of gaslighting, according to the National Domestic Violence Hotline, is trivializing. And this occurs when a person belittles or disregards how somebody else feels. So this one is a real common one with the population that I'm working with here in the world of waking up to narcissism. And that is when somebody says that they may accuse you of being too sensitive or overreacting in response to what you feel are valid and reasonable concerns. Because guess what? Your concerns are valid and reasonable. And we'll put a period right there. So if you express something in an emotionally healthy relationship, the answer of your spouse, and I'm sorry, I'm going to shoot on them, is it should be, oh, tell me more. I want to make space for your feelings and your emotions. And that's why we need to have a conversation about it. I'm so grateful that you're willing to express yourself or your confusion because we're in this for the long haul. Let's figure this out right now. Let's have a healthy, connected conversation. And too often, we have the people that we've identified are a little more on the highly sensitive side that find themselves in the relationships with the emotionally immature or narcissistic people. And so they are almost wired or programmed that when they are told they're being too sensitive, well, that hurts. So then that might cause the person, the highly sensitive person, to withdraw and go down the path of, geez, what is wrong with me? I do overreact a lot. And so that can be really hard because trivializing is absolutely gaslighting because if we are two human beings and we're having an adult conversation then there's zero place for somebody to belittle or disregard how someone else feels, tell them how they feel. That stuff drives me insane when I see that in my office in couples counseling. Well, you know what? Uh, what he doesn't understand is he's what he really means is, or, and uh, no, let me find out what, what he thinks or how he feels. Another form of gaslighting is denial. Denial involves a person refusing to take responsibility for their actions. They may do this by pretending to forget, saying they didn't do it, blaming their behavior on somebody else. And again, welcome to the world of incredibly emotional immaturity or narcissistic traits, tendencies, or full-blown narcissistic personality disorder because gaslighting is a childhood defense mechanism. When you grew up and you were, it was ingrained in you because you weren't watching your parents take ownership or accountability for pretty much anything, Then you saw that modeled, that it must be the way the world works, that you don't, you deny, you lie. And if you've watched your parents lie about things, just tell that salesman that I'm not here. Or you watch them, I had an example of somebody the other day that had a really fascinating one they were noticing about their husband as they had moved out of the relationship, that they said their husband used to just overpromise everything. Yeah, no, we would love to go to dinner with you guys. Or just somebody that was trying to pitch some multi-level marketing to them at their door of him saying, you know what? Yeah, let's get together soon. Let's talk again. And then he would close the door and she would say, you, you have no intention of following through on that. And he's like, yeah, but I mean, it's fine. I mean, it's not a big deal. That's just the way the world works. It doesn't really matter. But then later when that person would just incessantly follow up and try to make good on this appointment, she brought it up to her husband and he was saying, that's not what I even did. You're the one that's crazy. I didn't tell him that I was willing to meet with him again. As a matter of fact, I told him that we're not interested. And so that denial, he couldn't have possibly lied. Because that would mean that maybe he's not the person that he says he is or thinks he is. So that denial, people pretending to forget what happened, saying that they didn't do it, blaming their behavior on somebody else, gaslighting, a childhood defense mechanism. If I take ownership or accountability of something, then I will get in trouble. You will leave me. I will cease to exist. And I think this is one of the craziest ones to watch in, as people become adults. And I know I've talked about this on previous episodes, but sometimes I am determined to have narcissists narcissist that's sitting there on my couch Acknowledge something, apologize for something, take ownership of something. And then you can watch almost this childlike defense mechanism kick in where, and I'm thinking of a a very specific instance so long ago where the guy literally just sat there and just blank stared me and I kept asking and asking and he won. He really did because eventually I just was like, I mean, okay, I don't don't know. maybe, Maybe we can talk about this later. And then it was like back to that, okay, that my, do you want to ride bikes theory? So now all of a sudden, oh, we're good again. We're cool. So what's next? Can we talk about my spouse and how, can I tell you more about what she's doing wrong? So a couple more that they talk about from the National Domestic Violence Hotline. One is called diverting. And with this technique, a person changes the focus of a discussion by questioning the other person's credibility. For example, they might say, that's just nonsense you read on the internet. It's not real. And if you really step back, I've been fascinated with this concept lately of, To the emotionally immature or the narcissist, okay, if I have to listen or read some article about something that I'm not completely aware of right out of the gate, well, that makes me feel uncomfortable because I have a fragile ego. I'm supposed to know everything and you can't know something that I don't know because again, we go back to the narcissist view of black and white or all or nothing thinking because that must mean that then you think that you know everything and that I know nothing. So therefore, you're criticizing me and you must think I'm a bad person and you must think that you are all good and I am all bad. So then the quickest way to defend that is just telling you that's crazy. You're reading dumb things. I don't even know where you're going on the internet to look for these things, but obviously it's dumb. So it's not real. It's just nonsense that you read. Instead of in an emotionally mature relationship, then if let's just say a spouse says, hey, I'm worried about something and I read it on the internet. Here it is. One of the greatest things that a spouse can do is to say, tell me more or let me read that as well. And let's have an adult conversation. And we can actually hold space that we may both have different opinions. And it's so funny, because I know I'm saying that as if, holy cow, wouldn't that be just amazing? Because it does seem that simple at times until you start dealing with somebody with such emotional immaturity, that they just fawn, they go blank on you. Because now when they are criticized or called out, air quoted that one, that why can't you just listen? Why can't you just read something? Why can't you care about the things I care about? That if they don't blow up and tell you because you don't care about the things I care about, or because now you're criticizing me, sometimes they just blank stare. And because that is such a childhood defense mechanism, it's that freeze. If I freeze and just sit here, then eventually the storm will pass. My parent will leave the room and say, if you do it again, you're in trouble. But then the parent leaves and all of a sudden the person's like, okay, I can go back to playing my video games. And so I think we watch that happen with the emotional, immature, narcissistic person that instead of taking ownership or accountability, they're just going to sit through this one. Or instead of taking ownership or accountability, they're going to turn it back around on you and say, oh, you think you're so smart? You're crazy. Or go into a victim. Okay, you're right. I'm the dumbest person in the world. You must be the world's greatest parent. So that diverting, there's so many different ways that somebody diverts all in the name of gaslighting. And one more, I thought this was really interesting, hadn't covered this one before. An article in the American Sociological Review says that a person may intentionally use negative stereotypes about a person's gender or race, ethnicity, sexuality, nationality, or age to gaslight them. And the quick example they gave was they may say, hey, nobody's going to believe you to a woman when she reports abuse. And this one is particularly a challenge with men that I'm working with that are in relationships with emotionally abusive or narcissistic or borderline personality disorder women. Because the reality is that a lot of people are not going to believe that the guy is being emotionally abused or physically abused or financially manipulated or even sexually abused because, well, he's a guy. That's not going to happen. So that's a really difficult population that I want to cover more, talk more about in the future, which might be a real quick plug that, again, if you're a guy listening to this, and I know, I acknowledge that the data shows that most of the men are more emotionally immature, narcissistic. So I used that gender stereotyped example so often, but I know I have men that I'm working with right now that are in these relationships with emotionally abusive or narcissistic traits or tendency in women. And I see you, I hear you and reach out to me because we're going to do something with that too. So in this, a medical news today article, then they do have a couple paragraphs. One that says how gaslighting works. And I think that just as a quick overview, because we've covered this in concepts in more depth, just about the truth about narcissistic personality disorder. In the episode, it's the one that says, am I a narcissist? And I think we touch on this almost in every episode, but how gaslighting works is it's a method of gaining control over somebody else. And it works by breaking down a person's trust in themselves while increasing how much they trust or depend on the abusive person. Man, can I just tell you on this note, I am listening to an audio book that it's so sad and amazing and good and funny. And it's by Jeanette McCurdy and it's called I'm Glad My Mom Died, which sounds horrific, but it's about her growing up as an actress with a, I don't think they've said it yet, but an incredibly narcissistic or emotionally immature and abusive mother. And it is, it's a phenomenal book read by the author. And she was a childhood star in Disney shows and some others, but she does such a nice job of just laying out as she was going through her childhood of just the way she was trying to manage her mom's anxiety or manage her mom's emotions And so she did not trust herself and she developed an absolute dependence on the abusive person, on her mom for validation. And so when that is just the way that she operates, when that's her factory or default settings, then it makes sense. That's all that she knows. And so when she gets out of that, when her mom does pass away at that point is as frustrating or as emotionally abused as she has been she still doesn't have now the tools to then just start to begin to trust herself. And that takes a lot of work. It's an amazing book. But in relationships, gaslighting does happen gradually. The abusive person gains their partner's trust, sometimes with the initial honeymoon period, or we talk about the love bombing period. And uh, hey, I did a podcast. I was interviewed yesterday on the She's a Lady podcast. And, and it was really interesting because the host, she's it's a brand new podcast, and her name is Haley, and she deals with a much younger population of married people, I think probably in their early to mid-20s. And it just was really interesting because we were talking about the concepts around gaslighting and just how the emotional maturity is there, strong in early relationships. And and the reality is we want to think the best of our partner, and we do typically try to avoid any kind of tension at all because we're worried about things elevating to contention. And so we don't, go with our gut and we don't bring, we don't question things that seem out of alignment or things that don't seem to line up at one period to, from one point to the other. So it just makes sense of how that honeymoon period just goes on and on until it doesn't because there's no abusive behavior, but then the person starts to suggest that their partner's not reliable or that they're forgetful or that they're mentally unstable. And it's happened so slowly over time. And so then over time, this causes people to question if their partner's right. And the more this happens, the more power and influence that abusive person has. And you can see that then the longer that they are in that dynamic, then the harder it can become to then get back to trying to find your sense of self. So then unable to trust themselves, the person may start to rely heavily on their partner to recall memory or to make decisions. Again, so now I'm turning to the person who actually is the one that is emotionally abusing me to ask, am I right and so we begin to just trust on the person that we're relying on to tell us that we're okay, but that person is using those opportunities for their gain or for their narcissistic supply or to manipulate. And so they're unable to trust themselves as they start to turn to their partner to say, hey, I can't remember how that happened or what did we say again then they start to feel like they can't leave that situation. And that is just deepening this trauma bond. Gaslighting, and I like this part of the medical news today because they just very quickly say, where can gaslighting occur? So obviously intimate relationships. Because in relationships, an abusive person will use gaslighting to isolate their partner, undermine their confidence, make them easier to control. So for example, they might tell somebody that they're irrational until the person starts to think it must be true. Child-parent relationships. Abusive parents or caregivers may gaslight children to undermine them. For example, when a child cries, they may deem them too sensitive to shame them, to make them stop. Because in that scenario, the parent doesn't like the way that they feel, and if they feel like they don't have control of how to get their kid to just stop having emotion, then they are going to go in there with some pretty strong tactics of gaslighting. And I love that this one, medical gaslighting, according to the CPTSD Foundation, Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder Foundation... Medical gaslighting is when a medical professional dismisses a person's health concerns as being the product of their imagination. They may tell the person their symptoms are in their head or label them a hypochondriac. And I know that doctors are overworked and they have so many patients that come in throughout the day, but I've had a number of doctor clients and it's interesting when you can start to really have this conversation where sometimes where they don't feel like they they may feel as connected to their job and a lot of times it's because it becomes just all about moving people through the office. And so... I remember talking to one doctor in particular where he said that he could understand this concept of medical gaslighting because he had such little time to work with a patient. So when somebody's saying, here's what I think, then the doctor finds himself off and saying, okay, in essence, that's cute, but I'm the doctor and I've seen this a whole lot of times and I don't have a lot of time. They're probably not saying that part out loud. So let's just start with the things that I know, instead of being able to listen to what the person who finally comes into the doctor, who's probably nervous to even express themselves and then to be gaslit by the doctor. I've had clients, several, as a matter of fact, where we'll work on when they finally go to the doctor, we spend a little bit of time and we write out notes. It's perfectly okay to pull out your phone and to read notes because people get nervous when they go into the doctor. But that medical gaslighting, I can understand that that would really be difficult. They also talk about racial gaslighting. According to an article in Politics, Groups, and Identities, racial gaslighting is where people apply gaslighting techniques to an entire racial or ethnic group in order to discredit them. So an example, a person or an institution may say that an activist campaign for change is irrational or crazy because an activist campaign may threaten the very core of the institution. So of course, all the people that are looking at change must be crazy. Political gaslighting, I feel like I could just say period, fill in the blanks on your own. But that occurs when a political group or figure lies or manipulates information to control people. There's an article from the Buffalo Law Review that I'll link in the notes that just goes into quite a bit of detail here. But for example, the person or political party may downplay things their administration has done, discredit their opponents, imply the critics are mentally unstable, use controversy to deflect attention away from their mistakes, claim that any claim against them is fake, and then they're throwing up this big smokescreen and then they don't ever have to deal with the reality of the things that they're doing. And I'm not trying to make a political statement, but boy, I've never seen politics come into play until, and I'm so bad with the years or that sort of thing, but I believe starting with that 2016 election where it just, politics was not coming into my office. And then it was in my office every day. It really was. And to the point of where we start with the, we just are trying to make sense of things. We have cognitive biases. And so then when we're hearing such polarizing details about the two different parties, That it was really causing this split that I've never really seen before in the country and families and religious institutions and neighborhoods. And it was so wild to see that because people, I think, were so threatened just by life in general that they just started to go lean toward a cognitive bias And then have confirmation bias. Once they started to just say, okay, I got to try to make sense of something and I'm more aligned with this group or this group. then now once I'm in alignment with this particular group, now I'm using confirmation bias to look for all the things that validate my experience because I have to be right. And if I'm right, then that other side must be wrong. And I've just never seen polarity like that happen in politics and it went all the way into families and and that sort of thing. And I know that's still happening right now. So institutional gaslighting. Institutional gaslighting occurs when a company, an organization, an institution, a church, a hospital, any of those, when, for example, they may portray whistleblowers who report problems as irrational or incompetent or deceive employees about their rights. Or if somebody is questioning a faith community, then they must be crazy. They must just want to sin. That can't be because they're having their own experience or opinion. Signs of gaslighting. People who experience gaslighting find it difficult to recognize the signs. They're the ones being gaslit. And they may trust that abusive person or believe they truly do have a poor memory. But if a person often feels unsure, second guesses themselves or relies on somebody else to confirm their memories or help them make simple decisions, it's most likely due to gaslighting. They go into some signs that somebody might be experiencing gaslighting, feeling uncertain about their perception, frequently questioning if they're remembering things correctly, believing that they are the ones that are irrational or crazy, feeling incompetent or unconfident or worthless, constantly apologizing to the abusive person. sit with that one. If that's one that you are doing often, I'm sorry, if you find yourself apologizing constantly, you're probably a product of having been gaslit or defending the abusive person's behavior to others. This one is one that I can just give you so many examples of when people are in my office and they're starting to open up or wake up to the emotional immaturity in a relationship. And then I will maybe validate, man, that does sound hard, or I can't believe that that's what your experience has been you will often find the person to say okay but but i'm sure it's probably me but he, there's also a lot of these good things he does and so they they defend the abusive person's behavior to others because i think that's what they've been doing in their own mind because if they have to admit that they are in an abusive situation then they go down the what's wrong with me path and i feel like that's one of the hardest things to start to help somebody deconstruct of that hey you didn't know what you didn't know And so it's going to feel like you're embarrassed or ashamed or how could I have let this happen? Or I don't want to talk about this with other people because they're going to think less of me. And that's not what we need to be worrying about right now. Or also becoming withdrawn or isolated from others. Back on this She's a Lady podcast last night, we talked quite a bit about this, that isolation or sequestering that happens in the world of narcissism or emotional immaturity, where the person that is being gaslit or emotionally abused is just often told that I hope you're not talking about this to somebody else. You don't air out our dirty laundry to somebody else. And if that is the, by definition, yeah, if somebody's just walking around saying, hey, let me tell you crummy things about my husband or my wife, I'm on board with that. That is not a good thing. But if you feel like you are being told who you can talk to and about what, that is control. That is manipulation. That is gaslighting. And so that is a different situation, just is, because it's okay to talk to people and not to have somebody else tell you who you can talk to and who you can't talk to, period. So gaslighting contributes to anxiety, depression, psychological trauma, especially if it's part of a wider pattern of abuse. Now, they talk about causes of gaslighting behavior, and I think we do a lot of talking about that on this podcast in general. So I'll just give the quick overview that they do. Gaslighting is a behavior that people learn by watching others. It's a really simple way to put it, which I appreciate. A person who uses this tactic has learned it as an effective way of obtaining what they want or controlling people. I'll go back to my view or my concept, or I think it's actually initially, I can't remember where I first heard it, but gaslighting is a childhood defense mechanism. So they may feel entitled to have things their way or that the wants and needs of others truly don't matter. So sometimes people with personality disorders, such as narcissistic personality disorder, exhibit abusive behavior. And they reference a 2020 article that states that people with narcissistic personality disorder have a constant need for admiration and attention, a belief that they are better than everybody else or special in some way, a lack of empathy. And these combination of symptoms can lead to unhealthy relationships. However, gaslighting is not always due to a mental health condition. Anybody can engage in this behavior. How to respond? Gaslighting has a significant impact on mental health, so people who experience it need to make sure that they look after their own emotional well-being. There are several ways to protect from this form of abuse. And I don't talk enough about this next part. They say gather evidence. Gathering evidence of events may help someone prove to themselves that they are not imagining or forgetting things. That's the key. The National Domestic Violence Hotline suggests keep a secret diary. In a diary or journal, a person can record the date and time and details of what happened soon after they experience it so that they can refer back to it later. And I just want to say what I appreciate about this and I need to talk more about these ways to respond to gaslighting is responding to gaslighting is not saying, "Hey, you are gaslighting me." It's starting to do some internal validation. Bring that into therapy. Talk with a trusted non-Switzerland friend. So if you need to keep a secret diary, you should you have to? No, but is it okay? Absolutely yes. And by should you have to, I'm just simply saying that in a healthy relationship, it would not be the case that you're continually questioning your version of reality. So keep that diary. Write down details to help yourself. Now, when you point that out to the emotionally mature narcissist, I go back to my rules of number five of the rules of interacting with someone with the narcissistic traits or tendencies that I don't recommend that because you are trying to find a way to cause them to have their aha moment or their epiphany. Talking to somebody trustworthy, confiding in a friend, a family member, a counselor can help somebody gain perspective. The person can also start to act as a witness to events. Take pictures. In today's day and age, phones are so easy to snap a zillion pictures. Photographs can also help somebody fact check their memory. And again, you should not have to, but if you need to for your own sanity, then it is absolutely a good strategy. Uh, Keep voice memos. A device that can record sound can work as a quick way for somebody to describe events in their own words. And then this evidence can also be useful if a person decides to pursue legal action against the abusive person or organization, but they do make a point where they say check state laws on recordings before using them in court. So if you are recording things for your own sanity, that is absolutely okay. But some states have some interesting one-way or two-way recording laws, where sometimes there are some states where you can record somebody and they don't even have to know about it, and other states, they have to know about it if you plan on using that information later. It's vital to make sure any proof that a person gathers of the abusive behavior remains private, particularly if they share a home or a workspace with the perpetrator. Because a person can try to regularly erase their search history or storing evidence in hidden or locked places or keeping devices locked away or buying a second phone or a cheap voice recorder, sending copies or records to a trusted friend, is this allows a person to delete their own copies. And I may have skipped over that way too quickly. And we're talking about the person that's trying to keep their sanity of doing these things. And this is, again, where somebody says, okay, but if all of a sudden I'm erasing my search history and I've got a burner phone, then I'm just as bad as my spouse. And here's the thing where, were you just walking around erasing search history? No. Did you typically rely on a burner phone because you're doing something nefarious? No. But if this is about keeping your own sanity, it's a different story. And then safety planning, safety plans, tools that people can use to protect themselves. They may need to put together a list of safe places to go, escape routes so a person can flee, emergency contact details, ideas for self-care to help a person cope, a plan to safely leave a relationship or a home or a situation. So if you feel like you're experiencing abuse of any of this type, it is okay to seek support. And because over time, sometimes the emotional abuse may escalate into physical violence. And even if the abuse doesn't become physical, gaslighting and similar behaviors do. They significantly undermine a person's self-esteem and mental health. So it is okay to contact the National Domestic Violence Hotline or a counselor or anything. It's okay for you to be able to express yourself. And it is okay for you to have your own opinions and thoughts and behaviors because it's you. You are the only version of you that's ever walked the face of the earth. So you do. You have thoughts and feelings and emotions and opinions And if you are having those things stifled, put down, made fun of, told that they're not a big deal, that is not okay. And that's not a healthy relationship. Get help. And even if that help is initially done in secret, it's okay. It's okay in a situation. And I know that people feel like they're doing something wrong, but it is not something that you would do if you were in a healthy relationship. I hope this has helped. If you have questions, feel free to reach out at contact at TonyOverBay.com or go through the website or message me through social media. But I see you. I know the people that are going through this and I know it's hard and difficult and so many people are starting to really wake up to things they didn't know that they didn't know and that's a really difficult place to be at first. But I promise as you continue to to get information and recognize that you're okay and you're allowed to have your own thoughts, opinions and all those wonderful things that I I know I just talked about, that you will get better. You will heal. And then you'll look back on this and at some point recognize, man, I went through some really hard things, but that helped me become a better person. So I will see you next time on Waking Up to Narcissism.